Salem for Act 2 of Arthur Miller's Crucible. We're going to be looking at some key quotes, summarising the key events and making those connections to Year of Wonders. That and much more is coming up right now. Hello and welcome to the 6Ps podcast for another edition episode M today and that brings us to the halfway mark for these podcasts for 2019. If you'd like to get in touch the best way to do so is to flick me an email. You can find me at 6Pspodcast at gmail.com that's 6PSpodcast at gmail.com and I'll be happy to perhaps answer any questions you might have or take on board any feedback. Uh, Once again, uh, we're not going to have a music theme today because we're going through Act 2 of The Crucible and we'll start with, I guess, a summary of what happens in this act. I'll preface this by saying that this is probably the least quote-worthy act of the play. That's what I find anyway. The reason being, um, in terms of plot, not a lot happens. It's more so... Um, surrounds characters and some of the character background information and some of the character development as well. Um, In the grand scheme of things, especially when making connections to Year of Wonders, I find this this act, I should say, to be quite light on. So, what happens in Act 2? We are in the Proctor household. So, Act 1, we're in the Paris household and Act 2, we're in the Proctor household and we get a sense of tension between John and Elizabeth as they discuss what's been going on in Salem. We also get some more detail um, about the reasoning behind the tension and that of course revolves around Abigail Williams. Mary Warren returns from the court and she reveals to the proctors what's been happening and the fact that there will be hangings. John and Elizabeth are quite concerned about this, especially Elizabeth, who senses that Abigail is out to get her. Reverend Hale arrives to question the Proctors because he fears they may be targeted. He asks, or I guess questions, John's character and reveals information he knows about him, such as not attending church, and asks John to recite the Ten Commandments of which he can do all but one that being thou shall not commit adultery subsequently Herrick arrives with a warrant for Elizabeth's arrest and she is taken away not before John Proctor proclaims that he will go immediately to town and he tears up her warrant and that brings us to the end of Act 2 so let's get into some of the more nitty-gritty detail of um, Act 2. And I'm going to start with what I think is the most important aspect of this act, and that is the relationship between Elizabeth and John Proctor. The reason why I think this is really important is because it links in really well with Year of Wonders and the relationship held between Eleanor and Michael. Now, in Year of Wonders, of course, that's told from Anna's perspective. So we really don't get an insight into their relationship 
Anna does make reference to it a couple of times. In fact, she does even mention after Michael confesses, um, I guess, the more detailed or intimate details of their relationship, she recalls some things. But we really don't get an insight into how their relationship works on an intimate level. Here we definitely do. And um, it's interesting because it starts with an introduction or um, stage directions sort of describing the Proctor household. And this is, of course, eight days later, so eight days after the girls' confessions. Um, probably something that I might be reading too much into, um, but one of the things that I think is interesting is Elizabeth is preparing um, food and John goes to taste it, um, not liking it potentially. He goes to the cupboard, um, takes a pinch of salt and drops it in the pot um, perhaps you can link this to the fact maybe he's not exactly fulfilled or satisfied with Elizabeth. John being John, when he goes to taste it, um, even says at the bottom of page 51, it's well seasoned. Um, so he even takes credit for his own cooking. So as I said, we do get a lot of tension um, in this, especially through the stage directions on page 52, John gets up, goes to her, kisses her. She receives it with a certain disappointment. He returns to the table. So even through the stage directions, we get this idea that there is tension between them. They talk about what's been happening in town. Elizabeth says there will be 14 people in jail now. She says they've sent four judges out from Boston on page 53. And the best quote I think, is when she says, the town's gone wild. And this links into our theme of hysteria. There's a simile as well that Elizabeth uses to describe Abigail on the bottom of page 53. It says, Abigail brings the other girls into court and where she walks, the crowd will part like the sea of Israel. And folks are brought before them and if they scream and howl and fall to the floor, the person's clapped in jail for bewitching them just highlighting Abigail's power. And also, I guess that linked to Moses um, from the Bible. So, Proctor and Elizabeth discuss their relationship and the conflict, and I guess we get an idea of John Proctor's guilty conscience for what he's done to her. He says on page 55 to Elizabeth, with solemn warning, that's the stage directions, you will not judge me more, Elizabeth. I have good reason to think before I charge fraud on Abigail and I will think on it. Let you look to your own improvement before you go to jail, your husband anymore. I have forgot Abigail. And, and she says, and I, and he says, spare me. You forget nothing and forgive nothing. Learn charity, woman. It links to the last act of this play where Elizabeth does in fact, take the blame for this. And there's a bit of foreshadowing later on um, when John says, no more, I should have roared you down when first you told me of your suspicion. He says that regarding Abigail, but he says, but I wilted and like a Christian, I confessed, confessed. Some dream I had must have mistaken you for God that day, but you're not, you're not, and let you remember it, let you look sometimes for the goodness in me and judge me not. And this idea of being good, having a good reputation, and also judging other people um, is, I guess, outlined in the very, very last line of this play, which Elizabeth does. So following this, uh, Mary Warren um, enters. She's been um, in the court, and we get some really good um, quotes from Mary Warren, which I guess describe the way the um, social status has really changed within the town. 
Uh, some quotes that I like on page 58, Mary Warren says, I'm an official of the court. She discusses that they're doing weighty work and she says, I'll not stand whipping no more. Just, I guess, highlights her sense of her own importance and also the role that she's been playing um, in the court as well. So she reveals that Goody Osborne will hang, um, but for Sarah Goodwell, she confessed, of course, these are the first two names which Tichaba mentions. Proctor questions Mary Warren and tells her, you know, you will not go to court again, um, but Mary Warren refuses to. In fact, there's a really good stage direction on the bottom of page 58 about Mary Warren. She says, well, she's terrified, but coming erect, she's striving for her own authority, and she tries really hard to maintain that. Interesting for a servant um, when dealing with someone of greater authority. And of course, we link this to Year of Wonders with our protagonist, Anna, who was once a servant and manages to gain some sort of power and authority on the issue. So, Mary Warren disappears, and now we, I guess we see, and this is a stage direction that comes up a lot, this idea of being wide-eyed. It happens to a lot of the characters, both those who are in power and those who are in danger. And Elizabeth says, the noose, the noose is up. She wants me dead. And that is in regards to Abigail Williams, and she's very much aware of that. They also discuss the affair that they had and we find out that it was seven months ago and Elizabeth I guess challenges John to go to the court she says on the bottom of page 60 then go and tell her she's a whore whatever promise she may sense break it John break it and Elizabeth another great stage direction is trembling fearfully she knows what's going to happen and like most women at the time she's relying on her husband to save her from this to protect her Reverend Hale arrives and we get um, some stage directions for him, which I think is really interesting. We get this change in Hale, and Hale changes throughout this play. He's a really interesting character. He comes with this significant authority, and by the end, he struggles to really use it. Um, He is the voice of common sense. Initially, we believe that's going to be heard, but as the play continues, his sense isn't really um, listened to, and he does conflict with many of the characters the stage direction for Hale is that he's different now. He's drawn a little, and there is a quality of deference, even of guilt, about his manner now. And we know in Act 4, he professes his guilt, saying that there is blood on his hands. Now, he speaks to the proctors about what has been happening. He, I guess, reveals, I guess, his position in the town, and he says, I am a stranger here on page 62, as you know, and in my ignorance, I find it hard to draw a clear opinion of them that come accused before the court. He's got a really impartial position here. He doesn't know um, the town too well, and we know that it's a town where there are wheels within wheels and fires within fires, and um, he reveals that Rebecca Nurse has been charged. Remember, this is a Rebecca Nurse who has such a high reputation, not just in Salem, but even Hale knew about her reputation, which is why it's really interesting that he doesn't um, fight back for her. Um, Proctor makes a really interesting um, call on page 62, again, a bit of common sense. He says, But it's hard to think so pious a woman be secretly a devil's bitch after 70 years of such good prayer. And the reason why I find that really interesting is because Abigail, as we find out later on, was caught laughing during prayer. Anyway, Hale's really concerned. He says on the bottom of page 62, I note that you are rarely in church on Sabbath day. He uses his information against Proctor to judge his character 
I guess, and we know that there were people whose job it was to go around and see who was at church, who wasn't at church, and who was working on the Sabbath. We're living in a Puritan society where there are really strict um, rules on how an individual is meant to live. Proctor, um, though, mentions the reason why he's not at church. He says, But Paris came, and for 20 weeks he preached nothing but golden candlesticks until he had them. And when I look to heaven and see my money glaring at his elbows, it hurt my prayer, sir. It hurt my prayer. And again, we get this tension between Proctor and Paris, and he says on the very bottom of page 63, I like it not that Mr. Paris should lay his hand upon my baby in regards to the fact that he hasn't had his children baptized. He says, I see no light of God in that man. Again, to reveal that tension. Hale's not done with his questioning of John. And he asks him to recite the 12 commandments. Sorry, the 10 commandments, not 12, 10 commandments. Um, John is able to do so, of course, except one. That is adultery. In fact, Elizabeth answers it for him. So you can read what you like into this. You can suggest that maybe John's tried to put that behind him, what he did to Elizabeth with Abigail behind him, or perhaps he just simply forgot. Um, It's up to you how you want to look at that but Hale comes back and suggests that John's got to really get his act together because what's really important in this town is Christian values he says on the top of page 65 theology sir is a fortress no crack in a fortress may be accounted small and we know that in fact it's going to be revealed in the next act that the little cracks are the things that Danforth will listen to Judge Danforth will listen to Proctor reveals that um, to Hale though that um Mr. Paris discovered the girls sporting in the woods. They were startled and took sick. Again, we get this stage direction from Hale, saying his eyes are wide, and he's saying, Abigail Williams confesses to you, and Proctor says yes. And Proctor says, I never knew until tonight that the world has gone daft with such nonsense in regards to the fact that, well, why didn't you reveal this earlier? Hale sort of tries to bring some sort of common sense. It's not really common sense, but he says, you know, but hang on, that can't be right. You know, they've confessed to this. People have confessed it. And Proctor brings up this really clear thought when he says, well, why not? If they must hang for denying it, there are them that will swear to anything before they'll hang. Have you never thought of that? Um, it precursors what Hale does when John, or Elizabeth, I should say, lies for, to protect John, or she thinks she's pre- pre- protecting John. And Hale comes out and says, well, of course she's going to say that. Any wife will say that to her husband. But we get a sense of Elizabeth's strength on the bottom of page 66. She says, I cannot think the devil may own a woman's soul, Mr. Hale, when she keeps an upright way, as I have. I am a good woman, I know it. And if you believe I may do only good work in the world, and yet be secretly bound to Satan, then I must tell you, sir, I do not believe it. And Hale questions her, but she says, question Abigail Williams about the gospel, not myself. Hale, though, gives them a warning. He says, God keep you both. Let the third child be quickly baptized and go you without fail each Sunday into the Sabbath prayer and keep a solemn, quiet way among you. This is Hale's warning. He says, this is how you can evade this. Be a good Christian. You know, stick to these Puritan rules and you'll be okay. But just as he says that, Giles Corey appears. And we found, find out, sorry, that, um, well, Francis Nurse appears too. We find out that both Martha Corey and Rebecca Nurse are being arrested. On the bottom of page 67, Hale says, If Rebecca Nurse be tainted, then nothing's left to stop the whole green world from burning. Suggests 
though that Hale still believes in the court's justice. Um, but he says on the bottom, let you rest upon the justice of the court. The court will send her home. I know it. We're going to, though, find at the end of Act 3, Hale, in fact, quits the court. So this brings us to the very end of Act 2 and the arrest of Elizabeth Proctor. She's arrested. Herrick comes and she is arrested. And Elizabeth says on the bottom of page 71, why? The girl is murder. She must be ripped out of this world. And then later on, Proctor rips up the warrant for her arrest. This again is another bad move from Proctor in regards to being a good Puritan man. Hale tries to calm him down, but on the top of page 72, Proctor says, If she's innocent, why do you never wonder if Paris be innocent or Abigail? Is the accuser always holy now? Were they born this morning as a clean as God's fingers? I'll tell you what's walking. Vengeance is walking Salem. We are what we always were in Salem, but now the little crazy children are jangling the keys of the kingdom and common vengeance writes the law. This warrants vengeance. I'll not give my wife to vengeance. This is a great quotation to describe the change or the social change in this town. Young girls now have power, power to... um, I guess, testify against anyone they want to. And we know that there's massive factions in this town and now it's playing out through these witch trials. It's playing out in court. Proctor is, as I said, really, really upset. Hale again tries to, you know, comfort him. He says, Charity, Proctor, charity. What I've heard is in her favour. I will not fear to testify in court. God help me. I cannot judge her guilty or innocent. I know not. Only consider this. The world goes mad, and it profit nothing you should lay the cause to the vengeance of a little girl. And Proctor calls him a coward. It's interesting to note that, again, Hale ends up leaving the court, um, doesn't use his authority to try and stop things. And Hale says, Let you console among yourselves. Think on your village and what may have drawn from heaven such thundering wrath upon you all. I shall pray God open up our eyes. It's just think about what caused this conflict what causes this crisis this is an internal conflict you know the the witch trials are an internal conflict we talk about the plague being external conflict um in both cases in both texts we know that there are those that believe that it's a work of god or the work of the devil Um, but it's really interesting to note how other characters or some characters view the cause of this um who's to blame do they blame themselves or do they blame others and i think blame in general plays a really interesting role in both texts The act closes with John demanding that he and Mary go into town and testify against her. He says on the bottom of page 74, you know, again, blaming himself a little bit, says, my wife will die for me. I will bring your guts into your mouth, but that goodness will not die for me. And he ends up going into court, but not before. He again makes a reference to Salem. He says, we are only what we always were, but naked now, I naked, and the wind, God's icy wind, will blow. And that closes off Act 2. So again, think about the relationship between the Proctors and what we see at the very start there and, and the tension. Is that what the relationship between the Montpellions would be like? Again, we only get very small glimpses of that through Anna's um, recounting of things, but um, for me that's what it makes this act um, really interesting and, and, and really important in regards to comparative. 
um, as well as this idea of blame. Who or what is to blame for the crises that occur in both texts and how do characters react to that? The final thing I guess I mentioned is the symbol of the puppet. So when Mary Warren returns home, she gives this puppet to Elizabeth. And when they arrive at the Proctor's household, it's the puppet which has a pin through the stomach, which they use as evidence against Elizabeth. Think about the puppet being a symbol of innocence, but juxtapose that with it being one of the main um, factors in cementing the notion that or linking Elizabeth to witchcraft. Again, we have plenty of symbols um, throughout the play. I guess paper is also another symbol. I think paper is a really important symbol, a symbol of authority. Um, John Proctor tears up the warrant. We're going to see him later on tear up his confession. But just start thinking about symbols and how they um, relate to the characters and how they relate to some of the key themes as well. And that's a wrap for episode M of the Six Peas podcast, where we looked at Act Two of The Crucible. Look forward to joining you next time where we look at Act Three and we head to the courtrooms of Salem. Until then, don't forget that proper prior preparation prevents poor performance, and we'll see you next time for another edition of the Six Peas podcast. Are we finished? Done. <laughs> <laughs>